This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation, man to man. No excuses are offered. None accepted. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk man. I back it up. And we are chock full of that, man. Go right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. And that's the bottom line. Just Stone Cold said so. If you're going to blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe. Let's not waste any time and get right into it. Texas in the midst of camp. Preseason practice, whatever you want to call it, the Longhorns are in it, and we'll talk about it this week on the latest episode of the Longhorn Blitz podcast. Wherever you're listening, however you're listening, we just thank you so much for being a part of this week's presentation and enjoying it. We very much appreciate the support. Several ways you can get this podcast. You can hear it as of right now, Tuesday nights on the Horn if you're in Austin. That's 104.9, 101.9 AM 1260 streaming on that Horn app and at hornfm.com. Tuesdays and Thursdays at 7 o'clock. We will update those broadcast times when they change here in a couple of weeks around the high school football schedule. The easiest way to get the podcast each and every week, just search Horns 24-7. That's Horns 247. No dashes, no slashes, no spaces. Click that follow button anywhere you get your podcast to get every episode of The Blitz when it drops on Tuesday. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review if you'd be so kind to do that. All right, let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz, and a daily fantasy guru. He is Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. How about you? I was enjoying your chart today, Matt, which we will talk about that chart here <laughs> in just a minute. Uh, a man who enjoys a good chart, uh, <laughs> a, pi- a pie graph, whatever whatever you got, he's, uh, he's, he's interested in it if it's got a good stat or a good nugget that he can pull from it. You hear him each and every weekday. On the horn, three to seven with Mike Harge on Ball Don't Lie. But for the purposes of this podcast, he is our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz. Lifetime Longhorn 2002 UT All American 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas in the 40 Acres where he earned his degree. Whenever that team ring comes back in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU, and when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, 
Mr. Rod Babers. Thank you for the intro, brother. It was money, as I, always. I do I do my best. Appreciate uh, it. Rod, actually, Matt, you're going to maybe be the star of the show this week because of that chart you put together with pressure rates. We're going to start talking about the Texas defense, but, Rod, I want to start with you, your area of expertise being the secondary. Uh, did you hear Sar- Steve Sarkeesian's comments after practice on Monday about – out of the changing body types in the secondary, specifically at yes. corner? Yes. Uh, it's a good question by you. I believe you were the one that I, said at yep, the end of that press him. conference. Good question, too. And he got into, you know, he likes he likes length, six foot or taller. I mean, he's not the first guy to come here and, and, and say that. Right. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it fits. It makes sense. Uh, you, want, you want corners that you believe that can give you an advantage on bigger receivers. But as we know, Sark is not going to sacrifice – athleticism just for size so he's also recruiting guys that can run and they can cover i i mean i like i like what you say it reminds me a lot honestly what coach akina did when he came to mm-hmm. texas it's very similar he talked about versatility in uh, among you know skill sets of the dbs that he's bringing in that can move to nickel that can also move to safety possibly coach akina obviously was big in that uh he talked about man coverage just guys who can just straight up cover like that being a top priority yeah uh, I am one of those people that believes, and I've stated it before, I don't necessarily think you can teach a guy how to be an elite coverage defender. I think it's I think it's natural and innate. I think it's like pass rushing to me. I think a pa- I think pass rushers are just pass rushers. I think they just yeah. they got it. Jeff Jackson Jeffcoat been a pass rusher for from the time even in the NFL when he was a, he was in NFL he was actually a decent pass rusher in pass in predictable passing situations. It was just that hey the NFL ain't all predictable passing situations. Right. All right. So you put him in just that situation to be a pass rusher. That was his elite trait. He could do that. He'll still doing it. Up in the mm-hmm. CFL, some guys can just do that really well. Um, I think you as a scout and a coach you have, to have an eye for that. Like, no, no, this guy can cover. He's got the size I like. He's got enough speed, but he can flat out cover. Um, and that's what he's recruiting now. You just got to, used to call them, uh, you know, cat defenders. Go, yeah. uh, you know, call it cat defense. Go, go cover that cat. Yeah. Right, right there. And now you got guys that are he, at least that's what he's saying that right now can cover across the board, and at least you won't have to worry about trying to develop that part of their skill set. Mm-hmm. And something maybe people will be able to understand a good corollary is like some people can dance, some people can't dance. Like there's some type of instinctive nature that comes to if you're somebody that can cover and you're describing, well, yeah, you can maybe teach somebody what they're supposed to do, but there's this instinctive ability that you have to have that some people may not just have yeah. that inside them in the same way that you just say, so if you can't dance, you can tell everybody what to do over and over and they can try as hard as they want, but they still aren't going to have that natural Amen, rhythm. It's like Amen. some people are able to play music. A guitar comes naturally. You can yeah. try to learn that, but something there's almost yep. a rhythm to everything totally that you good. do in life. And that's sort of like a same type of no skill that some it. people are born with. Yeah, And the problem is you recruit guys and say you're a scout that doesn't identify a coverage, uh, defender that as an elite skill or trait then you recruit a db and then you realize oh he can't cover that well he does have a wide range of great skills but he can't cover that well and this is why what mike gundy did at oklahoma state was brilliant Mm -hmm. he decided no no i'm just going to recruit spread babies i'm going to recruit just coverage defenders in the back seven and i'll have a certain size i like i'll have a certain certain athletic requirements that they have to have Mm -hmm. but once we put them in our strength and conditioning program i think it's rob glass there or whatever dietitian all that we'll watch them grow watch them develop and yeah oh realize like oh that guy can just flat out 
out cover. You know what? He's a cornerback. You know what? That guy likes to be physical. He can hit. Hey, we'll move him to safety. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, actually, he's getting too big. Let's move him to linebacker. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it also saves you scholarship. You don't waste scholarships. Yeah. Getting back to my man uh, <laughs> Jeff Howe's word of the offseason. Repurpose. Repurpose, right? So you can repurpose guys, and Texas now can do that. That's why he's looking at versatility. It's like, oh, I, I recruited a really fast DB with a good size, but damn, we can't cover. All right, it's okay. Put him at safety. Doesn't have to cover as much, or at least he'll be covering tight ends, but pretty much and running backs more than he'll be covering flat out wide receivers. So there's there's a that, there's a method to the madness, and I like what I'm hearing. Whether they're executing that in strategy, I don't know. Yeah, Sark went a little more in depth on that answer than I thought he would, which I appreciated. Yeah, he did. A lot of people got hung up on the six foot thing, and I'm like, okay, if you're five ten, that doesn't mean you're automatically eliminated from the pool of guys Texas will recruit. We learned this with Tom Herman and Wider. Yeah, yeah, it's just, you know, Sark has a preference. He has a type that he likes. Like, he would rather have, if 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 both guys were in the same recruiting class and Sark had his druthers, he would, he would prefer Holton Hill over Rod Babers. It's just the way, you know, yeah. the way he li- likes I mean, to. Yeah, I, I, it's I, what he I, likes at the corner I totally position. Like Quandre Diggs probably, I don't know if he'd make the cut here. You know, and that'd be something you have to look at. It'd be questioned. It'd be questioned by yeah. the recruiting and, coordinator and because of their. Well, Andre was until the very end. He yeah, was one of the last yeah. guys yeah. in his entire class. Exactly, and and, and, and Rodby would too. But I, I agree. It's just because that's what they 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 have a requirement now. Not a requirement. They have a preference, like you said, and what they want. And if you don't necessarily fit that preference, maybe they won't prioritize you. Yeah, I can tell you what, like of the young guys, and we only got two open media windows for about 25 minutes when camp opened. I'll tell you one of the young guys I really like, and it's just kind of you look and see, okay, does he look like he belongs? Does he look like he belongs? Mm-hmm. Of, the, of the young cats in the secondary, Austin Jordan's a guy that I really like. You know, he had some good track times late at Denton Ryan, played a lot of quality football in that Ryan program, but another kid, physical long about six foot fits that mold yeah. of what they want a corner but rod you're kind of the poster child of man sometimes you just have to look past what it says on a sheet of paper even though texas did list you about two inches taller they than you did. measured at the combine yeah. um but you played bigger than what you measured when you were at texas because of your skills as a pure cover guy same thing you know quandra is a, i don't need quandra is a pure cover guy but because of his skill set like getting back to your point played bigger yeah. So you have to look past the measurable sometimes, yeah. and and actually go go watch the go go watch the young man play, which go gets, watch him play. Yeah, which gets back to the Deshaun Jameson argument, oh, which is where yes. I was yesterday. Was like, oh, that must have been a shot at Jameson. Jameson needs to pick it up. I'm like Deshaun Jameson's, and I'm not picking on Deshaun Jameson. I like Deshaun Jameson. <laughs> Sounds like we we pick on Deshaun Jameson on this podcast. But Deshaun Jameson's film the last two years should be enough evidence for him that he needs to pick it up. Yeah. Again, he's too good of a player. To be as much of a non-factor as he's been at corner the last two years, he regressed last year. Yeah, um, and I, considering you know how, <laughs> considering how much playing time he's had, um, you shouldn't be regressing at this point in your career because I we think that guy possibly could have a shot to play in the NFL. You mm-hmm. shouldn't be regressing um, at this point in your career. Hopefully, with the off season, with coaching stability, same system, same technique, same coaching philosophy. And, you know, them making some changes around Deshaun Jameson um, that I think are going to improve the defense. Hopefully that uplifts his, you know, level of play. But he's got to make more plays on the ball than he gives up. And that didn't happen last year. That's, right. that's my one rule for DBs now. Make more plays than you give up. Give right. up more plays than you make, then we got to have a conversation. The, the point that Sark was making about and why I asked the question was 
because when, as he's talked about how you fix the defense, he always goes back to tighter coverage, eliminate easy completions. And, Rod, I, I knew Texas gave up a lot of easy completions last year. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize the number was this high. And, again, raw numbers, yeah, it can be, know, it can be a know, slippery but slope. Still. But when you're setting school records – for the heard, highest opponent completion percentage allowed I heard in school that history. I like the tower today when you said it, and I I ran, ran to my pad to write it down because I couldn't believe it. Sixty-seven point six percent completion rate for the opponent last year against Texas. I could, I can't, I can believe it. Actually, I don't know what I just said, but it was just a great stat. <laughs> great, great job by you. Like, and it's <laughs> like the previous high. We hmm. bagged on that 2019 defense, that Todd Orlando defense, his last defense. defense. They were at sixty-three-four. They had the previous record. So e- even in this era where it's space and pace offenses, and you know you're gonna give up completions on yeah. bubble screens, exactly. Still, I mean, go the 2017 defense opponent completion percentage allowed 57.5. So mm-hmm. it can it can be done, but you're almost almost 68 percent right they're well, allowed on some, the completion rate. The, oh, if you go, it's like so you, you you said easy completions, and that's what uh, Sark is trying to eliminate. But they also gave up. A ridiculously high completion percentage on hard completion. Yeah, you yeah. want some you know, of the on twenty plus yards down the field. They were over fifty percent completion percentage allowed on twenty plus yard throws down the field. On fifteen plus yard throws down the field, they were over sixty percent completion yeah. percentage allowed. I so, think I think after the Oklahoma game, <laughs> after the Oklahoma game is when I stopped charting because I'm like, this is bad and it's not yeah. going to get better. It was at like seriously like sixty seven percent. I think they of, ended it close to fifty eight percent or something like that. Crazy. Of deep balls they were giving yeah, up, yeah. That. And then if you want to go look at situational ones to where you oh, can no. see, say you have your opponent third down and ten or more. Opponents were seventeen of twenty one, eighty one percent for two hundred twenty nine yards. Wow, that's good. Yeah, that's good insane stuff. overall on first down, seventy one point nine percent. It was 110 for 153. You can go to third down on one to three to go. They were 10 of 14, which is 71.4%. Fourth down, five for seven, which is 71.4% for 72 yards. Like the West Virginia game, I was talking about this on Light the Tower uh, today, this morning. Even like, in the red zone, 67.3%. Like there's, there's two games I, I look back, I look back at. Crazy numbers. There's, well, let me let me start over because I'm rambling. The Oklahoma game. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Like that encompasses Steve Sarkeesian's first season. Like in a nutshell, it's just that game. Unfortunately, like yes. the Oklahoma game is the best of Texas in 2021, and it is the worst of Texas in oh, yeah. 2021. All of, within 60 minutes. Which half do you want to watch? All within 60 minutes. <laughs> yeah. it is wild. Yeah. But the, there's two to point out what we're talking about with the deep ball issues. The Oklahoma game gets looked at because of those those prayers Caleb Williams was throwing up that got caught and you know the Marvin Mims like the toe touching down where there's like just a little bit yeah. of grass between his toe and the and the boundary, but the two completions that kind of encompass the issues with the like the the one step forward two steps back nature of last year's defense, the Arkansas game and the West Virginia game. You go back to the Arkansas game, you get the B.J. Foster pick, you get the touchdown. And even though the offense was struggling, you're thinking, man, if they can get a stop here, they can at least have a chance to maybe make this interesting and maybe get back into this thing going into the fourth quarter. And you get them like a second and 18, and they target Deshaun Jameson. They give up a 45-yard completion, and the game's over a few plays later. The West Virginia game was another, and I think the series I'm thinking about, I believe it was right after Hudson Card comes in for Casey Thompson. 
He leads that scoring drive. The touchdown pass to Xavier Worthy. Tavondre Sweat gets a sack. And it's like third and 19. And you're thinking, like, man, okay, they're back in this. They get a stop here. They can roll. And the secondary gives up like a 21-yard completion on a deep square in on third and 19. Yep. I was like, dude, like, you're putting yourself in a position to finish. It's not like they're asking you to, you know, go defend like the 99 Rams for 100 plays. Like, you, you, it's second and long. It's third and long. It's third and we don't have a play in the playbook for this. Mm-hmm. Get off the field. And even in those situations, Rod, they couldn't get off the field last year. Third and long, I've said this, uh, you know, before. It, it, I think it's the only situation in football that I can think of where – the odds actually flip in favor of the defense. Mm-hmm. It's one of the, only, one of the very Passing down. Yeah, it's, it's so the, predictable. Very few. You're talking about third and so like third and seven plus. One of the very few downs where the odds start flipping in favor of the defense. And yet for Texas, they never were able to benefit from that. No. Because they oftentimes, it, and it was multi-layered, right? Multi-factorial. I think the DBs, you just got to it, uh, Jeff. They They basically couldn't figure out how to become like what I call football investigators, right? So mm-hmm. uh, they cannot diagnose down distance, formation, personnel package, alignment, assignment, um, all the little clues you get pre-snap and try to uh, narrow down the options of how the offense was going to exploit them, how they've been you know, attacking them the whole game, the personnel you're going up against, all those things, right? The tendencies, weaknesses, strengths of the quarterback. They were never able to do it. They went, they went into every down blind, just – playing the the, yeah. the coverage that they were given and never actually like I said I don't know if that's play, that ain't playing football to me that's yeah. I don't that, that don't you know I mean to me that's that's, that's almost different. like a video game that's strange yeah that's really you're weird just doing what you're programmed to do not yeah, not having any type of adaptation what did my man Shadow say you know be coachable don't be a robot they yeah. were a bunch of robots out there to your point um so they be that's the football IQ that Sark keeps talking about yeah. that I just how I describe it he describes that football IQ it's basically the same thing, right? Well, you're not going to go out there. You don't be a robot. Uh, but understand the situation. Understand how they're trying to exploit you. Narrow down the ways that they can, that they are going to try to beat you and the plays that they tend, tendencies, uh, that they tend to use in those situations and circumstances. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but the pass rush, which, <laughs> getting back to Pete Kwiatkowski's thing, that's probably, the in third long, that is the biggest failure. Yeah, of the apparatus, right? The defensive apparatus that they can apply any pressure at all. Hence, the guy can sit back there, you know, without any pressure, stress free, and complete a third and sixteen, third and nineteen, whatever it may be. There should there should be a sense of urgency on the back end that if the defense does get a sack or a couple of sacks to put you in that position where it's third and nineteen, you've got to tell yourself, all right. I know our pass rush isn't that good to do this three times in a row. <laughs> we we got we got to handle it ourselves now. You should have learned that earlier. Yeah. You, you know, it, it took you too long. It took you too many games to figure out your pass rush was it, a non-factor. It should have never. All should, right, pass rush is locked in. No, they're not locked in. They haven't yeah. been locked in all year. They're not going to be locked in here. Agreed. And that's when you should have started to promote more chaos, right? Yeah. That's when you should have started blitzing. We should have started having more run blitzes, more twists and stunts up front. Uh, playing more guys in the gaps instead of having guys head up. You should have known by then, you know what? We're going to get beat anyway on these third and longs. I'm just going to throw ish at the wall and see if it sticks. And I don't think you saw enough of that from PK later on. Um, Getting to the pass rush, Rod, Matt's got some numbers. Matt tried his best to break it down. And 
That was Yeoman's work Matt did. I just looked at the uh, team pass rush grade that oh, yeah. PFF yeah. handed Texas. The team pass rush grade for Texas last season was 65.3. And, again, PFF's looking at hits, hurries, mm-hmm. sacks, the whole deal. Yep. Uh, that's grade of 65.3 for a team pass rush grade. Tied for 115th nationally. It was the fifth worst in Power 5 and the worst in the Big 12. Well, yeah. Fifth worst in the Power 5? Fifth worst in Power 5. When when you're tied with UMass nationally <laughs> in any defensive statistic, no offense to the UMass grads out there, it it's bad. Yeah. UMass grads, you did something very at. wrong that year. Yeah, no, I'm not surprised by that. I put out the uh, tweet the other day in response to the Pete Kwiatkowski joke. You know what pass rush? Because I'd been tracking some of those crazy stats too, and I I just been piecemealing them from different places like pro football folks. what you have to do, yeah. Football outsiders and, you know, just what you know, what I Bill Connolly, ESPN stats or whatever I could find. And over the offseason I've I've uh, I've compiled these. Texas defense, hundred and eighth in the FBS and last in the Big Twelve in overall pressure rate, ninth in the Big Twelve in pressure rate on blitzes, hundred eleventh nationally and ninth in the Big Twelve in opponent adjusted pressure rate. So whatever way you want to look at it, whatever metric you got different ones Matt's gonna have some different ones. I got some. It don't matter. They were. They, you talking about? And we 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 said this, and I don't think it was hi, it was hyperbole at the time. And now I think it may be unfortunately even truer than when we said it at the time. We may have been looking at one of the all time worst edge defenses in Texas football history. Yeah, I think if for you look, sure. Oh, right, because against, against a run and pass, exactly. never has it been so never, bad on no, both. Both, exactly. You've been you one of these He's a they're decent run defenders, but they're really bad at pass rush. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're really good at pass rush, but they're you know really you know really decent run defense. Whatever it may be, yeah. but no, they're they're horribly bad, historically bad at both run defense on the edges and at applying pressure. Yeah, on yes. you could say that they were the worst in school history at both at the same. You time. You could make that argument. And because at the I same went, time, yeah. that, that just makes it like that takes a Because yeah. I went and crunched the PFF numbers, and again, you've kind of got to go game by game and add it up. Those numbers I found on C-gap runs and out, oh. giving up 6.9 a carry, almost seven yards a carry on anything that hit from the C-gap out. Outside the tackle, outside the tight end. Once, Basically last year, basically what that means, for those of you who don't want to Google like, okay, what does it mean C-gap, B-gap, whatever, Basically, once you clear the outside shoulder of the tackle, if you're the opposing running back, on average you're getting about seven yards a pop. Home free, baby. Yeah. And no matter any game situation, (laughs) while we're on the run uh, numbers, and I know Rod's brought up some of these at times throughout the year, but it doesn't even matter situationally. If Texas is winning by 15-plus, they're giving up 5.6 yards per carry. If they're losing by 15-plus, it's 5.72 yards per carry. Like, it's on both ends of the spectrum. Losing by 8 to 14 points, 6.02. If you're tied, it's 5.65. Like, all scenarios, it's bad. And then when you look at areas on the field, if you go and look at from your own 21 to 39, it's 6.13 yards per rush. In between the 40s, 6.10 yards per rush. From the 39 to the 21, 5.14 5.14 yards per rush. And then if you look at even on down and distance, on first downs, 5.96 yards per rush. They ran 226 times for 1348 Texas opponents. If you want to go look at third and short, and with third and one to three mm. yards, average 3.79. 
just handing it over every single time. It's pretty bad just across the board. No, I went back and watched that Oklahoma State game, that Baylor game, and, man, I can't try to think. I believe there were three, uh, maybe even four, four, third and longs where they mm-hmm. decided to just hand it off. And, mm-hmm. and they converted a couple against Texas. Just like, nah, actually, we're going to work smarter, not harder here. Mm-hmm. Instead of throwing it on third and long, we're just going to hand it off. Uh, yep. And I, I honestly, that those numbers, I think, actually give you a lot of insight as to why they would decide third and eight. You're going to hand it off? Yeah. Actually, there's a really good chance I can get this yeah. first title take. Um, Here are the numbers. <laughs> and there were 36 rushes between third and four and third and nine. And they got first downs on 11 of them. That's a high percentage wow. if you look across the board. On fourth downs, you gave up six of the 12 times that you ended up. Set. Yeah, it's crazy. That's a 50% conversion rate on fourth down against Texas running the football. And some of those are on and long situations. That was a great stat. Is that, is that off CFB stats, man? Yeah, all off okay? CFB stats. Um, getting back to the raw numbers, Rod, I'm, look, again, and I know raw numbers, it's the most rudimentary way yeah. to do it. But looking at the of the past defense last year, I just have it one of my favorite statistics. It is, because I think it it unto, unto it's to the me, best one. It is. I think it might be one of my top five yeah, statistics. Because it just shows that. you okay, basically how many impact plays are you making on defense? It's PBUs, it's it's hurries, it's uh, the whole deal. Yeah. Um, you know, last year part of the havoc plays on the back end anyway is, is interceptions. Uh only seven interceptions last year by the by the Texas defense was the worst total. Since the 2008 defense, Will Muschamp's first defense only had six interceptions. The flip side was that 2008 defense, they only gave up, uh, in 13 games, they only gave up 1,086 rushing yards, 3.1 a carry. Ooh, that's impressive. Yeah. Last year's defense, though, you gave up over 2,400 yards on the ground, Mm. a little over 201 per game, 5.1 a clip. The all this means when when as we talked about this defense and how you can improve it, there really is nowhere to go but up, and it's yeah. it's it's got to be frustrating for PK and everybody in that meeting room to sit down and figure out where you figure out because you look at the body of work suggests with all the numbers we've thrown out, kind of now it's okay. What does all that mean? We talk all the time about you want to get the offense off schedule, you want to get them into predictable down and distances. What we're saying here with how bad you were defending the run. The opposing offense was never off schedule last year. the the whole The entire playbook was open for sixty minutes. Yep, pretty much. Because you could even when, like you said, you were in the third and seven, yeah. they could potentially run it, and you were vulnerable to that because you didn't trust your guys up front to win one on ones. And if it was a third and fifteen, yeah, and you're like, oh, third and fifteen, we just pin our ears back, Finally. get after the quarterback, and devote resources to the passing game. You still were vulnerable. To them completing and converting a third and fifteen. Yeah. So that I mean, it's just it to me. Yeah, for PK, I know that was tough, but that's on him too. Those guys did not get better throughout the year. Yeah. Some guys individually did, but as a whole, that defense actually regressed this year. You know what the problems are. That's the same thing I said. I don't. If Texas wins eight games this season, and they solve the problems from last season, I actually, as a football theorist, will be happy. I'm talking about just seeing the regular season in the bowl game, something different. Because to me, it's more important for Sark and company to fix the problems they had. If 
they are if we have they have eight wins next season, but they still the edges are still historically bad. Yeah. And the defense and the rush defense is bad and the secondary is giving up, you know, chunk yardage plays and twenty plus yard completions at a fifty percent clip, uh, then yeah, I'm actually still gonna be considered con- me considering that to be not a down year, but a disappointment because I want them to solve the problems. New problems will arise. They always do. Mm-hmm. But you still got an offseason to solve the problems that plagued you last season, and I don't want that to become systemic. Yeah, and that's yeah. what it will become if it starts to persist year after year. Yeah, under, under your, these under, are the type of problems that if you have again, you just have no chance. Under your line of thinking, no Rod. Chance. Under your line of thinking, though, if the problems aren't solved, that means on an eight, in an eight and four season, you will have wasted what would have to be to get you to eight and four if these problems still exist. It's going to be Bijan Robinson and Xavier Worthy having like historic seasons. Oh yeah, we agree that offense could be a top ten offense. Yeah, now they were top twenty last year, and left meat on the bone. You know, and they had what? Well, yeah, offensive line issues, quarterback injuries, quarterback instability. Freshman wide receiver was your you know best weapon um, as in the receiving core, and so running back injuries, all that stuff. So I think they can be a top fifteen offense. My concern would be what you brought up last week. I'm concerned the special teams won't be able to pull their weight. Yeah, as we talked about last year, and I saw it. Uh, Football Outsiders special teams FEI. Metric. They had Texas as I believe the number eleventh best special teams in the country, and then SP Plus yeah, had, had Texas like number eighth. six. Yeah, they were way number up there. Six best special teams in the country last mm-hmm. year. So you're talking about two of your units were top eighteen units in the country. Your defense was so damn bad, it drug you all the way down to being a five win team. Yeah, you it, were you you had the third most minutes spent with a lead in conference play. The only two teams to have more time spent with a lead in conference play played in the Big 12 title game, Baylor and Oklahoma State. It's like the the bizarro <laughs> – it's the bizarro version of – remember Tom Herman's first year? Like you were elite on special teams. You had one of the best defenses in the country. Mm-hmm. But your offense was so bad. It was. You, you were a 500 team at the end of the regular season. That's true. Great point. I remember that. That's exactly what it is. Yep. And when you look at the formula that's won and something we've been talking about on this podcast all summer long, but – the change of the culture of the Big 12, and you look at those teams that won the Big 12 last year. It was like, yeah, Baylor, they're the number 13 defense according to SB+. But Okie State, the number four defense according to SB+. The best two offenses, they didn't even play in the Big 12 championship, being Oklahoma and Texas. And why was that? Well, their defenses ranked 58th and 86th in the country. It's just a formula that it used to work in the Big 12, but right now when you have Teams like Jeff said, four of the top 19 teams, according to SP Plus, on defense were inside the Big 12, being Baylor, Okie State, Iowa State, Kansas State, all that had defenses much better than their offenses. And you didn't even have to be a top 30 offense to be one of the best teams in the Big 12 last year. If, if, you, if you're still thinking this is a league where everybody just throws it 50, 60 times a game and just tries to outscore you, you're looking at it wrong because that's not what Big 12 football is. And right Lincoln now. Riley just it's, left, it's so even, Oklahoma and, may even be different. Well, even Lincoln Riley actually was uh, running the yeah. ball close to 50 percent of the time. I, I got mm-hmm. some number. I got some numbers yeah, for you Lincoln here in a Riley, second that'll yeah. back that up. You want to yeah. get to these numbers? Yeah, Lincoln ran well, it a ton because he's, he's from that version there right now. Strangely enough, you're going back to some of these. These kind of old school Mike Leach area guys yeah. like Kitley back in yep. the Big Twelve, uh, and you got Graham Harrell coming back in the Big Twelve, so that's a little different. But yeah, I mean Lincoln might love to run it. Um, I, I went and looked at tight end snaps. I basically went to Pro Football Focus, looked at every Big Twelve team. 
Because oh, I've been I've, all our all our discussions about snaps overall. Just tight end snaps uh, overall. I, I like this. And this just because I, I kind of wanted, I'm I'm on this Texas thing where I think Sark, if he doesn't get the kind of development that he wants at the tight end position, unlike at this time last year, he's got options as we talked about on oh, what to do with your no personnel groupings. Yeah. But I went and looked at it, man. Do you guys realize that uh, Texas was one of four Big Twelve teams last year to get a thousand or more snaps out of the tight end position? Not surprising. Well, can I guess the others? Go ahead. I'll, I'll tell you. Texas had the uh, third most the snaps. They were had the third most tight end snaps. Iowa State's easy. Iowa State was second, thirteen hundred ninety nine um, snaps. Out Lincoln of the Raleigh, I imagine. Loves Oklahoma 12. was fourth, a one thousand one hundred eleven snaps. He loves yeah. his H backs. And they, yeah, and they, they were slash tight end, whatever. Mm-hmm. It is. Basically, it was three guys. Yeah, uh, where I wrote Hall. down OU's. Uh, yep. He's Jeremiah, always got one of them. Yeah. Hall was three seventy six. Mm-hmm. Willis was three sixty eight, and Stogner was three thirty nine. Okay, so yep. who's this? Uh, the last team? Oh, this is a, in the Big name. Twelve. Uh, oh, is it West Virginia? No, no. West Virginia's actually further down on the list. I was surprised how far down they were. Interesting. Um, okay, oh, State. Nope. Nope. They use a lot of multi back sets. All right, I'm I'm gone. Baylor, one thousand. Oh, I should have known. One thousand five hundred nine snaps. Yeah. Ben Sims led the Big Twelve with eight hundred and fourteen snaps yeah. at the tight end position. Jeff By the way, Grimes. Kate Brewer, number two in the Big Twelve in tight end snaps last year at seven forty three. Yeah, that's that 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 should have been easy. Yeah. Um, because Jeff Grimes. Like, matter of fact, th- this year they're probably going to use more tight end snaps because they bring back two of their tight ends this year and they lost all their wide receivers. So they'll probably up their twelve personnel snaps for Jeff Grimes this year. You'll just see a little bit more from Baylor. Uh, you had, let's see, I'll just run down here real quick. Uh, you had Kansas uh, at 964, K-State at 956, Oklahoma State at 838, and then it really drops off. You get uh, Westford, or actually, I'm sorry, Texas Tech was just over 1,000 snaps, so there were five Big 12 teams that had got 1,000 or more snaps. Out of the tight end uh, position. And a little surprise, because that's a that was still a air raid offense. Texas Tech was one thousand two, so yeah. just barely and over. You know what? Big target. Guarantee you this year they're gonna up that twelve personnel a little bit even with Kelly. I know it sounds crazy, but they like their tight ends. I've been hearing that research. Yeah, they'll be tech. they they'll run a they're lot gonna, of four and five white. Like not joking. When you look at what they were doing at Western Kentucky and back to the Houston Baptist yeah. numbers, but I followed them because I remember. The Stearns brothers. I was doing daily fantasy, yeah. and oh, I yeah, learned yeah, that these right. Stearns brothers, no, they, and they literally run four wides as their predominant package most of the time, and one of those is a lot of the times a split tight end. Funny enough, and I don't think this will change for them this year, TCU had used the fewest tight end snaps in the conference last year, 510. Going and with to, Sonny uh, Dykes. Well, they're going to Air, R- I mean, Air Riley, I was going to say, but yeah, another mm-hmm. Air Raid, basically. Uh, Sonny Dykes, yeah. So I wonder, yeah. TCU actually returns a ton of experience, too. They're one, yeah. of, those, they're one of the most experienced teams in the Big 12. We talk about returning production. Quentin Johnson, Kendra, and Miller. Like, who right at the you, top. Yeah. It's crazy. I didn't realize that. It's just that defense. If there was any defense that was worse than Texas last year, it was TCU. They missed a ton of tackles. I won't say only Kansas missed more tackles than TCU last yep, year. Yep, and had no impact on the back end. They had no pass. The only team like with the pass rush nearly as bad as Texas or fewer Actually, impact plays. I mean, it was three forced fumbles. They just across the board, TCU yeah. did nothing. TCU was like third most missed tackles. But that's that's that hybrid spread culture, though, Rod. You, you keep the tight end there. At the very least, these teams are running a lot of 11-person. In the case of and Texas and Baylor, that wide zone. Yeah, Iowa they State. They want that extra body in that wide zone when they're running outside zone, and more teams are running wide zone. 
Yeah. Especially Baylor, Iowa State. We saw Texas is going to run a ton of it. I loved last year Texas running split zone. Split zone Split yeah. zone was – I don't know if it was their best running play last year, their best run concept last year, but it was up there. I liked it when they ran the Oklahoma game. They used to run it with – oh, it was beautiful. Yeah. A lot of misdirection in the backfield. Mm-hmm. Love that split, split zone look. Yep. Nice. Uh, but this, this just shows you, man, the Big 12, if you haven't already realized – it has changed. It's going to continue yeah. to evolve. It's a it's a it's a running league. Cross dressing as a passing league. They still they just want to spread you out. But just, they they want to really want it. I just like they throwing. I just like throwing the the tight end numbers out there. I, I even broke it I down. Like I basically looked at everybody's top two tight ends and uh, like basically we are one and two guys mm-hmm. and your top two because that's basically like how much. That's my way because the personnel groupings aren't readily available for every team in the Big 12. Rod, I know you've broken down. I know. The it's percentage I, another thing Texas I wish was. somebody would do, but I do it for Texas. But it's, yeah. In the NFL, you can find it oh, easy. Warren oh, Sharp, yeah. and there's other folks that no do doubt. it. Uh, but last, like last year, the top two for Baylor was Ben Sims and Drake Dabney. Uh, between those two guys, over 1,300 snaps. Texas, uh, Cade Brewer with 743. He and Jared Wiley were the top two. Uh, that's 1,025. Iowa State, Chase Allen, a little over 700. Charlie Kolar, a little over 600. 1,300 snaps, 1,323 for the top two for Iowa State. Kansas' yeah. top two were at 805. Oklahoma State's were at 722. Uh, Texas Tech's top two were at 785, and that's uh, 432 from Travis Coons. Oklahoma was at uh, 744, but it was 1,083 when you throw in basically – Stogner, Hall, and Willis were all kind of even across the board. So, uh, But I went back and looked at those numbers and cross-referenced them again as we kind of shift gears. If there's anything else you guys want to touch on on defense, we got a little bit of time to yeah, do I it. Yeah, I like but, this conversation. Um, going back to the options Sark has in terms of personnel groups, and we'll get to some camp nuggets here in a sec. But I, I went back and looked at, okay, you used your tight ends a lot last year. How productive were your tight ends specifically in the passing game? Almost 40% of their offense. Yards after the catch, yards after the catch per reception. Cade Brewer was your team leader at five. That ranked twelfth in the big twelve. As at four tight ends. Yes. Oh wow. Yeah. Really? What was it? What was it again? Five. Five <laughs> yards after the catch. Per so reception. his average depth of target was less than five yards. And <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'll get to eight out here in a minute, but yeah, Cade Brewer five yards after the catch per reception. That was twelfth among Big Twelve tight ends. Yeah. Uh, yards per route run. Jared Wiley, one yard per route run, 14th among Big 12 tight ends. And then averaged up the target, Cade Brewer at 4.8 yards, 20th among Big 12 tight ends. So you're using them a lot. You just weren't getting a lot of – the return on investment rod was not there like it should have been. And based on my numbers, they were highly you know predictable out of 12 personnel. Yeah. You're talking about – you know, like a 68, 69% run rate when you're out of 12 personnel. Now, they were, they were highly effective running the ball out of 12 personnel, but you do need more of a vertical threat. You want to run, just get into, you know, the X's and O's a little bit. When you want to run RPOs, right, you want to tag that backside or even tag the front side of that RPO, you need to make sure that that safety is not going to be a flat foot read of that quarterback or the triangulation of the quarterback and the wide receiver, right? Mm-hmm. So the only way, though, is to threaten him vertically, and the best way to do that is with a tight end that he's at least got to acknowledge and respect as a vertical yeah. threat. With Jatavion Sanders and Jaleel Billingsley, that's more than a threat he's going to think of. And then that way you can at least force him to respect the verticality of that whatever that tight end, and then that'll give you a lot more space to open up that window for mm-hmm. that RPO. 
Yeah, and that, basically off that backside yeah. hip or whatever. And that was a big that part of why, yeah, they didn't want to run a lot of RPOs. So he, I don't think he trusted his quarterbacks in terms of manipulating the mesh point and all that kind of stuff too. And but I think a, a lot of it was those safeties. Remember, go watch an Oklahoma State game and go watch them safeties mm-hmm. and how they just start creeping closer and closer to the line of scrimmage. No fear at all of being yeah. threatened vertically by Texas. That's not going to help you in the RPO game. Uh, you need yeah. you need to be able to create some space and create some windows, um, and I think that they'll be they'll be happening more this year too. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's get into some camp nuggets. Unless you guys want to circle back on anything we talked about so far. Well, I can give at least the, I didn't get the overall numbers. Oh on shoot, those Matt, I'm sorry. Rates. Yeah, go oh, ahead. Just Cause I'm, I'm going to talk about defensive guys for camp nuggets anyway. So this is going through. I like that. All right. So overall, if you look in the Big Twelve, what was the highest percentage when you just combine your Team hurries with your team sacks and divide it by your pass attempts plus sacks since it comes off rushing yards or rushing stats in college. You look at I or Oklahoma State led the league 24.95% of the time. <laughs> they were getting pressure. It was like 125 wow. out of 501. Baylor was 18.48, which was 90 like out of 487. Iowa State was 18.32, which is 70 out of 382. Mm-hmm. Oklahoma was 14.76. That's 72 out of 488. Then K-State was 14.74. That's 60 out of 407. And then you have the group at the bottom. Those are your top five. And the bottom five were West Virginia at 13.2, Tech 13.1, TCU 12.1, Kansas 11.25, and Texas at 11.1 dead last. Yeah, so pressure rate so no on what, percentage No matter plays. what way you were breaking it down, you did <laughs> yeah. a totally different formula than I'm sure the other ones are doing. Yep, um, and it's still the worst. And it's still the worst. Worse than Kansas. <laughs> worse than Kansas. Yep, and I mean, when you combine I'm not seven, by that. seven, four, I even started to tie together other ones and like seeing the seven forced fumbles and Jeff already mentioned only having seven interceptions so low across the board. The only team worse than that was TCU with three forced fumbles and 10 picks. But I mean, OU was an outlier. They had 21 forced fumbles last year. That's crazy. 19 on defense. I guess the other two came on special teams. Interesting. Like, that's out of control high because everybody else is around, like, between 8 to 13, except for Texas at 7 and TCU at 3. Great numbers. Great oh, and that was combined awesome. forced fumbles and interceptions? Yeah. Man. Jeez, man. That's, that's rough. And at the end, we're, we're just first fumbles. Um. Getting to Camp Nuggets on the pass rush, mm. Sark talked about, and I, I to me, it's got us. I know we talk about the edges, but we talk about personnel on the edges, right? Like unless Justice Finkley or Baron Sorrell, one of these young guys, is ready to just step up and play a bunch of snaps, uh, you're going to have to money ball it there. I think it's got to start. That, that interior D-line group has to be an asset for you this year. They can't just kind of be there. So there was some good and some bad. So Sark talked about, Keandre Coburn developing himself as a pass rusher. I still think he's probably better as predominantly a run defender, but if he can give you some pass rush when he's in there, mm-hmm. okay, great. It's a win. The fact that Byron Murphy and Vernon Broughton, and again, today, as we record this podcast, today, Tuesday, is the first practice of full pads. So take with a grain of salt what's happened with the interior D line yeah. so far. And plus, it's at zero sum game if you're going against your own offensive line and get into that minutia for, you know, trying to figure that out. Uh, the fact that Byron Murphy and Vernon Broughton have real Sark said those guys have caught his eye. They're exploding off the ball. They're the most active guys up front. That's good. 
we expected that from Byron Murphy. That's and the fact we're that, not surprised by that. And the fact that Vernon Broughton's one of those guys is good. You need it. But the fact that he says, even in a setting where it's just shells, the fact that he says he needs more consistency from Tavondre Sweat and Alfred Collins. You guys know I'm a Tavondre Sweat fan. We're all, I think, Alfred Collins mm-hmm. fans. And the fact that even in this setting, those two guys that still hit or miss, that's my, kind of my camp overreaction to the first week. Is um, I'm very concerned that Sark kind of went on record as those two guys need to pick it up. I'm not concerned yet, obviously, because they haven't you know put on full pads and they haven't started yeah. banging around yet. But Kim Kardashian, Nicki Minaj, Serena Williams size, Cardi B size, Lizzo size, but um, based on what we saw last year, right, and based on you know my suggestion on the show a few months ago that I think I would have a platoon system ready to go. Yeah, I'd have it ready to go. I have it broken down situationally, just in case our coaching ain't what we thought it was. Until because one of the big problems last year was, and we talked about it. You did not really have an every down player on the D line that could consistently win one on one battles. And Byron Murphy toward the end of the year was probably as close as you came to being that guy. But situationally, these guys flashed, right? You go look, you guys broke down the numbers. Situationally, you'll look at Alfred Collins as a pass rusher, right? He flashed. Keandre Coburn, early downs, is a run stuffer, flash. Tavondre Sweat, you know, was able to penetrate certain situations. So I think you if you really start to break them down, you really could come up with a, like I said, a nice system where you could rotate guys situationally without a huge drop-off, and you would put them in a better situation to be successful. The problem is they are limited, and they are essentially right now situational players. They're not every down defensive lineman. Give me Byron Murphy is probably the closest you got to yeah. being an every down defensive lineman that is a, a, a solid run defender, but also a guy that can penetrate and pressure the quarterback too. Um, so right now put them in a better – at least have the have the plan ready to go, the contingency plan to put them in a position to be successful in case they have not developed over the offseason into being every down players. Hey, just like the Astros do. Hey, let them let them do what they do best. Mm-hmm. Let's yeah. do let's do less of what you're bad at and more of what you're good at. That's it. And and we got enough defensive linemen. We'll be able to put in enough run defenders on what we believe right now. Now, as a coach, you got to play the chess game within the game now. Because mm-hmm. that means you got to be able to play the man and not the hand and know what that other opposing coordinator is going to do on first and second down. You better know those tendencies really, really well. Yeah. Because that means you're basically predicting, all right, they're going to run it here. You're mm-hmm. rolling the dice every time. You know what I mean? You, every time you're like, all right, they're going to run it. All right, they're going to pass it. Let me put my group out here. And if you get that wrong, you could end up up Ish Creek. And you got to make sure that you have these guys enough where if they go hurry up and they go up tempo and they just want to go no huddle, that you're not too – um, ex- exposed because they decide, oh, they, they, they this group cannot uh, stop the run at all, can't run defend. We're just gonna throw it constantly down the yeah. throat. So I, I think platoon. I think that's a contingency plan. I'm not saying that's the way to fix it. That's definitely a contingency plan in case we just basically see what we saw last year. Yeah, and not uh, much improvement of that group of Coburn, Sweat, Collins, Broughton, and Moro Ojimo. Of those five, can you find two? Can you find, too, that no matter the situation, whatever the case is, this gets back to that dependability, that reliability, that mm-hmm. flexibility we talked about. Like what Anthony Cook, I think, has it. DeMarvin Overshone has it. Find your best 11. It's your best 11. Oh, and within that within that 11, 11, like, man, who do I trust? No matter the down and distance, no matter the situation, time on the clock, whatever, I can trust that that guy can be on the field. Of those five, can you find two that fit that bill? Yeah, I agree with you. And 
I I think I definitely think Byron Murphy is one of those guys. Murphy's and right there. you got one. I would have said Sweat or Collins, but maybe maybe it is Vernon Broaden. Who knows? I hope it's Vernon Broaden. That'd be great. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Right now, I think right now Byron Murphy, based on what we saw last year and his trajectory and what mm-hmm. we've been hearing in the offseason, yeah. he right now is your best bet on D line. But you need to find, like you said, one more of the guy, and then you can work around complimenting them with those situational players yeah. depending on the down. And distance. that's the one thing I think y'all brought up there perfect was if Murphy can take that step because a lot of the times when you have the small sample, you have a guy that's being able to do really well, but once you give them volume, it really becomes yeah. diluted and they aren't as good. If he can have just, you know, say twice the amount of snaps and not have any drop-off, that's going to be invaluable to the defense because that means you're going to have a guy performing at an all-conference type level because he did that in small spurts before. Mm -hmm. It's just very few players are able to do that on two or three times a workload. Those are those players that you build around when you get them, and he's about the only guy that you can look down on paper that across the board was at or above average at everything he did. Yep. My, one thing, Rod, I've heard you talk about this on your show, and I think we talked about it a little bit, but like Moro Ojimo last year was, I felt like, productive enough. Like you could feel his presence on the field. He's got to cut down on the penalties. Last year, five penalties. One of, one of those was de- either a declined penalty or an offsetting penalty. But he had four penalties, and it seems like I remember, I remember all like, four of them because they were in huge spots. I remember, mm-hmm. I, I remember they were crucial. Oklahoma State. He had one that was really big. I think uh, it was like a third down where they were just kind of. I think Gundy was content yeah. to run the ball and punt, and then like you pulled a face mask. Yeah, he's just too smart. You know, yeah. that's the guy we tell you, he's going to be running a Fortune 500 company one day, mm-hmm. so he shouldn't be having kind of boneheaded penalties like that. It's funny. That, those are the things that Chris Paul gets caught for in the playoffs by good referees. But like Scott Foster, <laughs> if you're smart, they try to think you can get away with a lot more. That's just uh, me speculating, but that fits no, that that's mold. that's a great point, though. That that's fits a great the mold. Point. That's a great point. I didn't think about that. You have You had three guys last year. That had double digit penalties. Josh Thompson was one, which said as a corner, I'd expect that. I mean, that you know, you're you're going to get called for a PI or defensive holding or whatever. Rod, you know how it is out yeah. there, life, well, life I mean, on an island. It, it, you should cut down on them, but yeah, you're going to get it. But you're, other over. than Josh Thompson, your other two highest penalized guys were Moro Ojimo and Keandre Coburn. Yeah. yeah, you can't have your vets being those guys. Yeah. Yeah. How do you, how do your interior D line guys keep getting called for penalties? <laughs> that too at and that it, position. I say, I, if I've been back and tracked them, I could. I want to say that Ojibo had like two or three crucial ones, like uh-huh. like heartbreaking ones. They kept drives alive. I like guess. most, <laughs> a lot like of coaches, especially especially now the way like football is played now, a lot of coaches tell you, at DPI or defensive holding, you don't like them, but if a guy's competing, depending on it's how it looks happen. like, you can live with it. Yeah. I can't think of penalties off the top of my head that interior defensive linemen would make that as a coach. Or like, yeah, I can live with that. Yeah, because the late hits are It's hands to the face. It's late hits. It's neutral zone infractions. Oh, yeah. It's it's stuff yeah. like that. It's not, no, they're man. not smart penalties. Yeah. yeah no, more I, minimal More competitive mistakes. penalties. And I love me some Ojimo, man. I love when Ojimo speaks, speaks the truth, keeping it real, even when it goes wrong. He's, a, he's one of those veterans. I wouldn't doubt this year if he has – we always talk about those. He's a senior, right? Mm-hmm. That, we always talk about those seniors. Well, Junior, but yeah, yeah, exactly. COVID, I can't keep up. Uh, we always talk about those veteran players that have those breakout years where all they want to do is win and all they care about is just winning. Yeah, and it ends up, you know, lifting their uh, level of play 
because they become like a leader in that in that you know with their with that commitment to winning everybody follows them and they become a leader and they play like it and they they lead by example on the field and off the field how maybe that's maybe this is that year for Moro Ojimo. it could be he like his versatility and I yeah, think they can, can move him around different shades. Play multiple front, shades. Right? That's, he's a perfect guy to work with the platoon system. Mm-hmm. I know. He should be a guy that you can say no matter the down-distance situation, he can play on every down. Yeah, and he came in so young. This is like the time for his body actually to be peaking to yeah. his, mm-hmm. you know I mean, to, to the, his all-conference level or he should be at his peak as a player because I remember he came in as one of the youngest players that yeah, in, in the college. recruiting class that we've seen in a long time. Yeah, he was yeah, a young 17 that. one of yeah, those. It was, was like really KD young. when because KD if, was on campus, he was 17. If, yeah. uh, he was really young. If you want to play like a true three-man front, he could play a four-eye. He could. He could play like two or three different you know? shades up front. And then if you, But if you want to go kind of more four-down, go like a NASCAR package, you can slide him inside. He can be a three-tech because yeah. that's kind of what he is now. I know. So that's why he'd be perfect. He'd be ideal. And you, and you, like I said, you know that he's a guy that that that's respected in the locker room just based on his comments and what he said and the fact that he's still playing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like he said what he said and and and, and we were worried like man maybe Ojemo's going to transfer. Man, maybe maybe Ojemo's going to end up yeah, da- down buried on the depth chart. No. They still talking about Ojemo. Ojemo's in the running. Ojemo's going to play. Um so I think that just shows me that he's got street cred in that locker room and with the coaching staff. Okay, as we wrap this up outside of by the way, I realize we haven't talked about quarterback lately. After the first I scrimmage, know. I'm pretty sure we'll have something to talk about related yeah, to quarterback. It's all right. We've been talking about it for uh, years And there's now. not it's much to right. talk about right now. It's not. We would just be rehashing. No I just news. feel like I have to address it. because No, you're right. You guys you didn't didn't talk quarterback. You guys didn't talk quarterback. I like the other stuff better. Yeah. I know. I Actually, I, I think it's a better competition than we all thought, and I'm happy about that. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'll just say this. Looking at Quinn Ewers from like those early spring practice windows we got to looking at him now, mm-hmm. that looked like you got a guy that's been here in Hudson Card and a guy that looks really talented that doesn't know what he's doing right now. Now it looks like these are two guys competing at a high level. I like it. Yep. When I watch them in drills. No doubt. So um as we wrap this up, last thing, Rod Matt, whichever one of you guys wants to take this, please take it. When we talk about this defense, Rod and fixing those problems. Mm-hmm. Outside of finding your best 11 and then finding the, the most dependable guys within those 11, mm-hmm. this defense, once they, let's say, get through the second scrimmage, once you get through the second scrimmage of camp, you're you game know. planning at yeah, that you point. Know. You know. By the second scrimmage, Pete Kwiatkowski needs to have what figured out for you to feel like this defense is going to go in the right direction this year. Wow, that is good. Matt, you might want to take this one. That is I good. I was about to say, you're the defensive expert. <laughs> uh, okay, I'll go, I'll, go, I'll go with this. Um, because they're having the age-old conversation on the 40 acres uh, that everybody's been having in the NFL, the chicken or the egg, right? Coverage or pressure? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which one should we focus our resources on? They've decided coverage. And I think they've decided coverage out of – honestly, I think it was because they had no other choice. Because you don't have the pass You don't have – yeah, I yeah. think you, you – unless Agreed. you Unless you can develop it, unless, you know, in the offseason it developed. And if they had landed O'Shawn Mathis, we'd probably be having a different conversation exactly. about that. Or Alfred Collins becomes a war daddy out of nowhere. Like, I get it. But right now he becomes Joseph O'Sai overnight. Like, mm-hmm. I get it. But that ain't – that don't like it's happening. So he, he better make sure that – the bet that basically they placed on these DBs that they can cover, he better make sure that it pays off. Yeah. Because w- yeah. that's the big – because right now that's your big – your big adjustment was 
you did in the back was in the back seven. Yeah, because if you do that, you coverage. can be successful you can. between you can. the twenties. You can if you, you can. can do that. That'd yeah. be big. And you can and you can manufacture some pressure up front. But if those guys actually can't cover, yeah, it's gonna be a long season again defensively. It's, it's those two things yeah. we talked yeah. about. The I mean, because we already talked about the edges all show, and not only the lack of pass rush, but the lack of ability to stop the run. But if you can't stop the pass and they're able to just go over the top on you, no lead is safe at any point, and any play can turn into an 80-yard touchdown. Yeah, because they're going to end up in – if you stop – say you stop the run. Let's assume they're going to stop the run. you got third and longs to deal with. Yeah. We literally just gave the numbers on 17 third and to long. 21, <laughs> 10.9 per, recept, per attempt. Yeah. How many times last year did, we, did they start talking about, man, I thought at times we, we played pretty good in stretches, and then third and long would come up, and then boom, the down would break or something. So I really do think since they, they're betting on coverage, that, that that's a bet that's got to pay off for yeah. them. They gotta improve coverage wise on that back end. We gave the numbers because I think up front, I don't necessarily see them growing wings overnight. That will also, I think you're right on the coverage aspect, Rob, because mm-hmm. I think when you just look at lining up against personnel, you'll get a much better idea if these guys can cover or not going against Xavier Worthy and Jordan Whittington Amen, and Isaiah Nayer and Tariq Milton. Great point. Then you will. The, the defensive line against an offensive line that you still don't know what it's going to look and like. And last year you you misevaluated because you were like, our D-line's going to be pretty good. It's like, no, 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 your O-line was bad and your D-line is just bad too. Yeah, that was 2010 <laughs> all over Your D-line again. might have actually been worse. You might have been worse, exactly. So you had a misevaluation, you had a distorted evaluation. But I, that's a great point, Jeff. I totally agree with you. Yeah. You will know. In they practice. Can cover, they can cover X-Men. They can cover Jay Witt. They can cover Isaiah Nayor. They can cover. All right, same thing with us when we were out there. We knew we could cover because we could cover Roy Williams, B.J. Johnson, Sloan Thomas. I was like, oh, I can cover anybody in the country pretty much. I'll line up against anybody. I don't care. Yeah, think. and that's the type of thing also in practice. Like, yeah, you think you know about the pass rush, but you aren't hitting quarterbacks. So, like, you aren't even Great fully point. there. You can truly practice gameplay of coverage downfield, really and can. it's it really simulating what you have on Saturdays instead of, a lesser version even, that you're it's practicing. Even more. It's even tougher. Yeah. It's tougher to cover in practice because those SO, SOBs don't getting, blow the whistle. Yeah. When, when yep. you know, it's like five seconds of coverage. I'm like, dude, he just ran, gave me like three moves Great in that point. route. And they're like, good route, good that's route. That's why like, one-on-ones are so unfair for the so defensive unfair. back. <laughs> Yeah, and to no give you, pressure on the quarterback, like, he just like sits back said, there. I'll see one-on-ones where a receiver makes like, he'll make like six moves and catch the ball and be like, yeah, I'm like, your quarterback got sacked 10 seconds can I, ago. Can I get that 7-on-7? Seven seven? They don't even blow the whistle on 7-on-7. Seven seven. They wait till the play's over Yeah. now, right? Then they say, oh, the play was dead. I, I wish they did that in one-on-ones. They don't never do that. He completes it after six seconds. Oh, he completed. It was a, you gave up a touchdown. Like, yeah, but touchdown. Nah. It was six seconds. But if, if you're covering for Texas, you probably need to be ready to cover for five or six seconds. Yeah. Hey, and by the way, real quick, how was, uh, how was Shano as a, as a practice player to cover back in the day? Uh, Shano, Shano was tough, man. Shano was tough. He he really was because he Shano was good at and this is something we don't talk about enough deceleration hmm. right we talk hmm. about uh, acceleration all the time mm-hmm. decelerate you got deceleration is actually what route running is all about yeah you can go full speed but you can't decelerate to get into a break and get out of that break then what good are you yeah. he was great at deceleration dude he did a ton of footwork drills hmm. so he can if he ran deep routes. I cover he all was day. working with like Ed, I, Ed McCaffrey because he, he, he's the running. He's running full speed straight ahead. I can cover that dude. I got yeah. catch up speed. Uh-huh. He can never outrun us. But if he's running a six route, mm-hmm. if he's running like a curl, if he's running like comebacks, anything like that, where he can decelerate, 
he, he, he could try to get you because he it, was really good at deceleration. It totally reminds me of hearing Christian McCaffrey talk about his dad teaching him the footwork. Yep. And his dad was like literally exactly at that right. exact time period, yep. probably in the offseason, yeah. working he's, with he's Kyle. Get, the slant has seven seven steps. Yeah. One, two, three, four, five, like, he was mm-hmm. at other guys. He didn't measure his steps for reps. Yep. And I'm like, oh, Lord. But, is, that why and, Shannon, is that why Shannon wore 87 was for Ed McCaffrey? Uh, yes, he loved him some Ed McCaffrey. Yeah. Well, yeah. he knows his numbers. Yeah, no doubt. Um, real quick as we wrap it up, last thing I'll say, going back to the coverage aspect, something we talked about last year as this defensive staff was getting put together, that relationship between PK and Terry Joseph, those two being on the same page, Rod, ties into everything you just said. Yeah, I know. I He misses Jimmy Lake. Yeah. Right? It's pretty odd. Well, I was say misses him like, like oh, he misses my friend. But right. misses him from a coordinator standpoint, coordinating His the battery. pressure packages and the front with the coverages. And last year, honestly, there were times where it was nonsensical where the coverages didn't – they weren't compatible with the fronts yeah. and the pressure packages. They didn't even make sense, which is why you had gaping holes in the yeah. defense at times. So uh, that's I, maybe that's just about them getting to know one another uh, and changing up the concepts. I think they just want to play more man coverage and make it simple. Yeah. Like you ain't gotta you ain't gotta coordinate coverages that much. It's like you know what we was playing man coverage. Well, All I mean, right, you playing man free. There's no coordination of the coverages yeah. there. So I think that's what they want to do more of instead of the elaborate coverage packages. When well, uh, working against a guy like Worthy in practice against man is like basically the best thing you can do. I had oh. recently been pulling the numbers of our Texas receivers versus man versus zone. Oh, I like it, that passer rating, NFL rating for Worthy. Uh, against man coverage, 149.3. He averaged wow. 22.8 yards per reception. It was 14 for 21 for 319 and four TDs. It was 4.37 yards per route run and a dot of 17.6 first zone. Drops down a full 7.6 yards per reception. The passer rating drops down to 77.2, becomes pretty mediocre when you had Worthy targeted versus zone this year, just 2.65 per reception. And, I mean, when you got a guy like Worthy, he he's a man-beater. You get him one-on-one, it's going to be hard to find somebody mm-hmm. in college that can defend him. So if you're going up against that in practice and doing pretty well, you're going to be performing at a high level because not many in college football were able to do it last yeah. year. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Great, great nuggets to end the podcast on this week. Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rod B., appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother, anytime. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn, 104.9, 1019 AM 1260, streaming on the Horn app and at hornfm.com, where you can get Rod B. each and every weekday on Ball Don't Lie with Mike Hart from 3 to 7. Same as plug. You can also get myself and Craig Way each and every weekday on Light the Tower from 10 to noon. And thanks to Matt, get all of our archives, our classic interviews, and shows are available on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Search Horns 24-7. That's Horns 247. No dashes, no slashes, no spaces. Anywhere you get your podcast, click that follow button to get every episode of The Blitz when it drops on Tuesdays. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus.